this week on the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Ooh, yeah. Macho Man Randy Savage. Jeff Jarrett holds Vince up for money. Or did he? Season 3 of Dark Side of the Ring kickstarts with Brian Pillman. And Red Ass JR. Again. I'm your host, Seth Grimes, and this is the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Ooh, yeah, Macho Man, Randy said. Got the biography from A&E this week, the third in the series. First was Stone Cold Steve Austin, of course. Mass praise. Then we have the follow-up for Rowdy Roddy Piper. Also critically acclaimed, is it not? Widely praised. Then we get to the third one in the series, the macho man Randy Savage. And look, man... Before I even get into it, I grew up in the 80s watching professional wrestling. That was my thing when I was a kid. That was my era when I was a kid. So I grew up on the Macho Man Randy Savage and the Macho King Randy Savage. I started watching wrestling around the time that the Mega Powers exploded and on through Randy Savage winning the world title from Ric Flair at WrestleMania 8, being retired by the Ultimate Warrior at WrestleMania 7, all his classic moments, the snake, Jake the Snake Roberts, that whole feud, everything in that era was just my childhood. And Randy Savage was always one of my favorites, far and above a Hulk Hogan. I was Ultimate Warrior 1, Randy Savage 2. And that was it until Shawn Michaels turned heel and turned into the sexy boy. Then I started kind of feeling him. Undertaker was on that list, third or fourth. I mean, I had favorites, but Macho Man, tippy top of that list, just under the warrior. In this documentary, I was so excited to watch it, and it was good. It was very good. The way that they put it together, um, the clips that they had, the stories that they told, it was all interesting to watch but what did it accomplish a lot of people are out there saying that this was a hit piece on macho man we're gonna break all that down here because there's a lot going on with this whole situation this was the first of the three documentaries that really went deep into the personal life of the wrestler Uh, the first one touched just a tiny bit on how austin wasn't really around for his kids and that sort of thing Roddy Piper touches on some of the drug use and then when he went a little crazy there at the end for a little while. But Macho's documentary really goes in deep. Like it spends like a half hour or more on just his, the shitty parts of his life, you know. Oh, the shit with Liz and he was controlling and locked her in a room and probably was abusive and all that other shit and he had cameras spying on her and her family and whatever the fuck else then it gets into 
gorgeous George, who, oh my God, by the way, I don't know how I missed this as a kid. I think I just thought of her as another fucking blonde with tits, like every other girl that was on wrestling TV back then, but gorgeous George is a little bit more special than most of them. All right, she's fine as fuck. She reminds me of somebody I grew up with in in high school and shit like that. And she just, the way she talks, the way she she acts and her face a little bit, like, that's my kind of chick right there. I would have been a guy, give me like 10 years older than I was at the time. And I probably would have been all about the gorgeous George to this day. I mean, she looks a little chubby and shit. I'd still fucking just marry that girl. Anyway, besides the point. They didn't need to spend a half hour talking about how scared she was of him and fucking her kids on the thing talking about stuff and her sister and why did it turn into the the gorgeous George and Macho Man story for like a half hour of this fucking thing. Did any of the other documentaries do that? Did Stone Cold fucking episode turn into the Stone Cold and Deborah McMichael story? Not even once, not even a little bit, not even a taste of it. Did the fucking Roddy Piper story talk about when Roddy Piper and Ric Flair went on wife swap and swapped wives? Did it? It did not. So why is the Macho Man story going into all Macho Man's dirt? Well, you could say there's different directors. It's not made by the same person. So maybe whoever made this one had a different take on how to do this fucking thing than the other people. Maybe. It's on the table. I'm not ruling it out. This is a co-produced documentary with WWE. We're all well aware as internet fans, that as wrestling fans, that there's long-standing, mysterious heat between Macho Man Randy Savage and the WWE. Here you have all through the 80s, and the documentary told this story beautifully. This is the one thing that they did nail, is that all through the 80s, people always talk about how Hulk Hogan was the man in WWE. There was Hulk Hogan, and then there was everybody else. That's not quite true, all right? Eight out of ten people that you ask if they've ever heard of Hulk Hogan, grandmas, fucking little kids, anybody... Because he's a household name. Eight out of ten of the people that know Hulk Hogan will also know Macho Man Randy Savage. Because the Macho Man was a fucking megastar back then. There were megastars. Not just mega powers. There were megastars. The Macho Man was no exception to that. The Macho Man was a fucking star in WWE. He was the top of the top. He was the tippy top. Think about it. He's had a fucking reign as Intercontinental Champion. Had one of the greatest matches of all time, whether it was paint by numbers or not. Had a great fucking match. After that match, he went straight to the top of the card. Fucking main event of WrestleMania 4. Won the title tournament there. Where was the title talk? This documentary completely left out both of Randy Savage's world title reigns in the WWF. Both of them were fucking historic. The first time, I mean, we haven't had a champion outside of Hulk in years and years and years. And that was in an era where even before Hulk, it was even more rare to have a different champion. You know, you're looking at 10, 12 years with Bruno and 
what, another seven with Backland, I think, and then fucking Hulk had it, you know, for, had a fucking huge run with it. Savage got the strap. Huge. Huge for him to win WrestleMania. Of course, Hogan had to be out there with him. But, of course, it was huge that he was the man that was standing high at the end of the night with the championship over his head. They never touched on it. What about his match with Ric Flair? That fucking amazing world title match. Flair gets color. The fucking story with Liz. They could have easily got a good five minutes out of that, out of the documentary. Could they not? Talk about the fucking Liz story with the with the pictures and the 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 Mr. Perfect and all of that. Come on now. The retirement match. You spent just a pinch of time. They covered it for like a minute and moved right on. That retirement match with the Ultimate Warrior. All of this shit was just brushed over or completely ignored in favor of drama. Why do we got to get into the drama? What's the agenda? You got to look at it like that. Because you're comparing it now to other stories. Even if this stood by itself, people would question it. But now we have a series of biographies. And we know Stone Cold wasn't a hit piece. Roddy Piper wasn't a hit piece. Booker T is going to be this Sunday. Today, if you're listening on the day that it comes out. and Last night or whatever the fuck. Depends when you listen. You got Booker T on the next one. You think that's going to be a hit piece? I think they're going to dig into... Oh, when he was a... Of course, they're going to cover his his criminal record and all that. You think they're going to dwell on it? They're going to fucking tell that story, and they're going to tell it as a redemption story. All right? It's going to be the arc of how this man overcame adversity to be a legend in professional wrestling. They're not going to get into his dirt. They're going to spin any little dirt that he has, his little prison sentence fucking thingy that he did, and turn it into a positive just like he did in his real life. The only other one on this whole thing, maybe, plausibly, the ultimate warrior. Maybe they'll do the hit job there as well. But you got to think, they got this relationship with Warrior now. They got the Warrior Award that they're giving out at the fucking Hall of Fame. His wife, Dana Warrior, is part of She's some kind of fucking ambassador-type gimmick with the WWE and the the kids' things and all that stuff. They're not just going to turn around and do the fucking self-destruction of the Ultimate Warrior all over again. Not after they patched all that shit up. So if you are a thinking man, then you got to think, why? Why? Why would they why would they do this? Why would they do Randy dirty like that? Well, on the surface, you could look at it as Vince loved Randy. Vince was attached to Randy. Vince counted on Randy and and, and considered him one of his strongest anchors to the WWF, but at the same time, he was looking to move forward to a younger generation. He wanted to kind of swipe all the 80s folks behind and savage was really pretty much the last holdover from the 80s you know you look at wrestlemania 9 was kind of the transition mania i think between the 80s generation and the new generation and i think wrestlemania 10 was kind of the start of the new generation and and Randy was there, and he was wrestling Crush, who, you know, had a run all the way through the Attitude Era. So 
And, of course, Randy had his run in WCW, but we're talking WWF here. Um, it was a new generation. Randy was the last holdover, and Vince just kind of wanted to slide him out. And Randy didn't want to do that. It wasn't about it. He had gas left in the tank. And by all accounts, he really did. You know, he was healthy, rarely injured. He could go. So Randy just left. That was before there were 90-day no-competes and all that other shit. Randy was done, and he showed up in WCW right after. That was a gut blow to Vince. You could take it a step further because, you know, guys have come and gone in WWF before, and Vince hasn't held that kind of a grudge. But you could take it a step further and look at the Slim Jim deal. According to, was it this biography, $750,000? Is that, did Bischoff say it here? Uh, if not, he I mean, it's been said somewhere. And that's basically what he, Randy was signed for to WCW. So, uh, it, you know, according to Eric, it, Slim Jim paid for Randy, so it didn't cost him anything. But that was WWE's money. They were making that Slim Jim money. Snapping to a Slim Jim. And Randy just gets up and walks away. And Slim Jim follows him because it's fucking Randy Macho Man Savage. We don't want Bam Bam Bigelow being our fucking guy. That's ridiculous. I mean, Bam Bam's cool and all, but he's not Mach. As a company, we want Mach to represent our brand. We like that. And that also made Randy a household name because he was on all those commercials. If nobody knew anything else, they knew Snap into a Slim Jim. Ooh, yeah. Dig it. Everybody knew that. Your mom, your grandma saw that commercial. She knows Macho Man. Just go ask her. Ain't that that wrestler guy? Yes, grandma. Yes, the wrestler guy. So you could see him having heat with the WWE over that. But as we'll get to later, we just heard the story of Jeff Jarrett sticking Vince up. He walked out of WWE twice and still came back to be in the Hall of Fame while he was alive and still came back to be a backstage producer. So why didn't Randy, the biggest star of the entire 80s, bar none except for Hulk Hogan, not get inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame? There was a whole like 10-year window. From when WCW closed to when Macho Man passed away, where they were doing Hall of Fames left and right, baby. Hulk Hogan went in in what? 2004? 2005? That's the year that Piper and Hogan and all those fuckers went in? You're telling me that over the course of the next five or six years, you couldn't find a place to squeeze the Macho Man Randy Savage in? It had to be after he died. And long after he died, not even the year after he died. It was several more years after that. Like, Eddie got inducted because he had died the year before. And it was to, to honor him. You couldn't do that to Mach? Where's the heat, brother? I know people get thumbs up their asses about conspiracy theories. People who are conspiracy theorists tend to believe everything. And tend to fucking take it and run with it to the nth degree where it gets fucking annoying and bro, you're stupid. At the same time, there's people out there that, no, that's stupid. There could never be any kind of conspiracy. 
Anybody who thinks that there's anything kind of blah, 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 they're fucking stupid. Those people don't think. Because if you think, then you should know that it's at least fucking plausible, if not outright obvious. I mean, come on here. We're all wrestling fans. We've all been around the fucking business as long as we have, watching it, watching videos, listening to podcasts, reading books. We know how this works, okay? As fans, they call us smart fans, smart marks, because we're educated to what's going on here, people. And any one of us that are educated here should then have brain enough to go, hmm, something's fishy here. Not just with the biography, that's one. Compare it now. You could say conspiracy theorist in itself. Why are you just, it's just, a, he did that stuff. It happened, so it's in his biography. Why are you hating? Because it's not in the other people's biographies, and it's not going to be in Booker T's, I promise you. So, let's bring this back here now. Why he wasn't inducted in the Hall of Fame while he was alive. He wasn't even inducted immediately after he died. Why? Where's the heat there, brother? Is it over Slim Jim? You can't, because, okay, let's, let's think now. We're smart, right? We're thinking about things. We could tell ourselves, yeah, I mean, Randy left. He took the Slim Jim deal. Of course, Vince was mad. We just heard, and I'll cover it later on the podcast. I'm going to say it again, because it's not getting through to some of you. Jeff Jarrett fucking walked out on Vince twice and stuck him up for money one of those times. And that's not even the worst anybody's done. And still came back to the WWE. Ultimate Warrior has sued WWE numerous times. Numerous. Jesse the Body Ventura has sued Vince McMahon numerous, numerous times. Hulk Hogan goes out and drops N-bombs. N-bombs. Hard N-bombs. Multiple times. With no shame. He never really even properly apologized for it. So you know he doesn't give a shit. He's just trying to cover his own ass. Save face. And he's invited back. But Macho Man... Just because he wanted to keep wrestling when Vince told him that he couldn't. And he took the Slim Jim deal with him. Probably not even on purpose. He just left and Slim Jim's like, no, we want that guy as our mascot. Not this guy. We don't care what company he works for. We like him. So then what? What would that heat be? Huh? My conspiracy theorist friends. What does this bring us to? Where does this leave us? Well, obviously there's heat somewhere. Obviously there's an agenda against the macho man that comes from the very fucking top. Vince, what's the heat about? Is it about, mm, Stephanie? I don't want to be that guy that's just out here propagating and being like, yeah, man, you know, trying to spread this whole fucking thing that macho banged an underage stephanie mcmahon before he left wwe i don't know how that's even plausible i look at this and i'm weirded out by it in a number of ways stephanie's underage Macho's an old man that's balding uh who knows he was able to pull gorgeous george when she was in her early 20s from a strip club but who knows how these things work i don't know but Maybe he has a huge Batista cock. We don't know. 
Point is, there is major fucking heat on Macho Man Randy Savage. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care who says what, who's he what's it. The evidence is there for you, sir. I lay it out for you. Biggest star of the 80s next to Hogan. Never even mentioned for a fucking Hall of Fame till well after he died. Documentary buries Macho Man Randy Savage amongst the documentaries of fluff pieces. A bunch, a bunch of fluffy, happy, flowery, this man is a legend pieces. This man's a legend. This man's a legend. Not that guy. He's a scumbag. This man's a legend. I'm telling you guys, something's there. Something's there. I don't, I'm not saying he did fuck Stephanie. I'm not saying he didn't. I'm not trying to propagate propaganda. What I am trying to say is that there's something fucking there. And honestly, just sit and think about it. I've laid the case out for you. If you don't feel that there's got to be something there, other than just the way that Randy left the company, ugh, I don't know. I could go on and on about this, but this documentary, again, absolutely worth a watch. A lot of it was very good, very well done, but it is glaring the things that they gloss over and the things that they spend an obscene amount of time on. Um, other than that, worth a watch. Go check it out. The A&E biography and Booker T's is out officially tonight if you're listening to this as it debuts. Or anytime after that, it's probably already aired. Keep checking it out. I'm going to keep covering it. Life is good as a wrestling fan. Jeff Jarrett holds up Vince McMahon with the Intercontinental title in hand. Or did he? Did he really, though? Check out this clip. This went back and forth with me and Jim a couple of times. And I said, can I get my money today? Jeff, it ain't up to me. It's up to the old man. Okay, find out. I, I've, I've, I've just got time today, Jim. He got up, went back, did it. And 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 I, I don't know exactly, but but I know that I made them go first. What is the number? They You, you always make them go first. That's the best way to do it. But Jim came back and said, yeah. And I said, well, what's the number? Jim comes to me and they said, we've sort of done pen to paper and we're thinking, we're, we're thinking 150, we'll get it all cleaned up. And I said, I said, Jim, remember how you changed the deal on me a year in? And he's like, well, yeah, I said, no, I said, that's, and I said, I understand all the reasons you did and I respect the hell out of it, but I don't really agree with that right now. And I've had time to reflect on my last two years. So if we're going to get a deal done, this place, Gundarina, is sold out for sure, and they've got a lot of WWE's money in their box office. So let's double that and get me to 300, and those are my payoffs because I get a healthy payoff out of tonight because, quote, unquote, I'm doing the honors. And give me the money out of Gundarina's bank, not WWE's bank, and let's go to work. I'm going to say he did hold Vince up. That's holding Vince up. I mean, he kind of laughs it off. He's like, oh, I walk in there with a gun. Jeff Jarrett kind of mocks it and jokes about it. Ha ha, I didn't stick up Vince McMahon. I didn't have a gun or nothing. Bro, you walked in without the belt, 
without your gear. So you're walking in saying, I'm here, but I don't have to be here. I might not be here. Let's talk. Sits down with Jim Ross and tells him, I need to get paid. I need to get paid for shit that I'm owed. And then maybe I'll go out there and wrestle and put over China. That's sticking them up. What the fuck else do you call that? Do you have to have a gun in your hand to call it a stick up? Is that how we're defining shit now? The way that Jeff tells the story is very interesting because I see his side of it. I'm not even knocking him. I can't say that I wouldn't have felt or done the same thing. We're not in those situations as fans. We don't know what it was like to be there behind the scenes. The way he tells the story, he knew his career was going down the toilet in WWE. He knew it was only down from doing the job to China. They didn't have any excitement to re-sign him. They barely cared to try. They didn't offer him any kind of jump and pay. They cut his pay from his previous contract. They never liked Jeff Jarrett to begin with. Jeff was very stiff on Jim Ross. He damn near buried Jim Ross, as a matter of fact, talking about how Jim never really made any kind of effort to sign him at all. No interest. He never felt any bit of interest, any bit of care, any bit of, you know, thanks for your services here. None of that shit. He didn't care. Nobody cared. So he knew unless he wanted to just slide down to fucking opening match and job spot, he needed to go over to WCW. He didn't want to, but he needed to. And he was right to do that because had he slid down the card and not been a main eventer, not gone up the card, not even stayed where he was, then that would have killed Jeff Jarrett as as a name in the business. He would have just been a meh, you know? But him going to WCW as hot as he was in WWE, he was still in a prominent position at that time. He was hot. He was still valuable. And he had now a writer that had his back. And what did that lead to? That led to Jeff Jarrett as a world heavyweight champion. In that era, he could put his name right up there with a Vince Russo, David Arquette, Right? WCW champions of the early aughts. Aughts? Aughts? Whatever the fuck you call it. That's a bit stiff on Jeff. Jeff's a talented guy. Uh, you know, uh, I don't see why he couldn't have been a main eventer. He played the part well. I don't think he never seemed out of place. He seemed forced in TNA because he was forcing himself to the top of the card. Uh, you know, but in WCW, to me, as lame as that part, that era of WCW was, he seemed to fit in. Like I didn't not, he wasn't not believable as a world champion or in a world championship contention at the very least. Did I like him? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying he was a good champion. None of that. I'm saying I believed him. He was believable in that spot as a contender at the very least, if not champ. But to sit with a straight face and try to babyface yourself on a podcast and Jeff's kind of the way he talks, he talks all woke and stuff and understanding and thoughtful and he does that, but he's 
I'm starting to pick up because he's done like 101 interviews already, you know, about this podcast and then the podcast itself. I'm starting to pick up on little tones of uh, how do you, I don't even know how to put it, like ego, little ego flakes floating around in this wokeness. You know, he's very self-aware. He's very uh, thoughtful, considerate, polite. He's a gentleman. He's smart. He is humble at times, but there's still just these little, he'll throw little passive aggressive lines out there. He's like, well, you said this, but actually it was, yeah, <laughs> I'm just joking with you. It's okay. Like, I don't know if that exact situation happened, but little things like that. And I don't know how else to describe him, but if you listen to all 85 of his interviews he did this week, you'll understand. But even with Conrad, things he got a little things tended to get a little seemed like they got a little heated once or twice there. A little they got a little sideways. Just a just a touch. Just a touch, because I think Jeff's a pinch confrontational. And it makes for good I'm still I'm not even I'm still not knocking it. Uh, I'm just observing. I'm a podcast journalist here. That's my job, that's what I do. I'm here to bring you guys the facts, okay? And I'm telling you, listening to this podcast, you could hear just a just a pinch of a flare up here and there of something or other from Jeff Jarrett. It's just these tiny little things. And, you know, at the end of the day, he's sitting here, he's trying to babyface himself and trying to joke it off and say it's way blown out of proportion and overblown. And to an extent it is because by the sounds of it, a good chunk of the money that he got that day was money he already had coming to him. And he knew, and he said it here on the podcast, if he dropped that title to China and then he was gone, he had zero leverage at that point. He was not going to be in any position to ask for any goddamn thing at that point. He knew it. And he also knew with the company going public that he was going to get lost in the shuffle and all of that. So give me my goddamn money right now that I'm owed. And then, because he had such a hard time with JR during the contract courting period and before that, Jeff basically admits that he added a little bit of an asshole tax on top of that. Just a little bit of extra fuck you for being a dick money. A little bit of extra cheese on his whopper, you know, as they say. And I don't know that I blame him for doing that either. I think it's kind of funny and amusing and i don't know that that's not something i would have done either had i known i was just i was going didn't care if i was going to be back give me my goddamn money and you know what remember that one time where you're fucking me around a little bit i think we could probably add a little bit more onto that just for funsies so i don't blame him but he sure as fuck stuck up vince that's sticking up vince i'm not gonna come out here and wrestle i'm not gonna give you back the belt until you pay me my money that's sticking them up how else do you want to put it jeff's trying to fucking turn it into guns and fucking bank robberies and shit get out of here with that shit go go fuck off with your trying to baby face yourself be more humble be honest say yeah i mean he does he, he admits everything he just doesn't like the way that it's phrased i'm sorry it's a stick up it's a stick up job don't even blame me for it but it's a stick up job Check out my world. It's going to be interesting, I'll tell you that much. 
It's going to be every single Tuesday kicking Arn out of his spot. Arn's moving to 605 on Saturday, and they're changing the format to some kind of biography-style fucking thing. I liked the Ask Arn Anythings. I liked talking about the modern era. Arn, a lot of his podcasts were heavy on the 2010s and shit. Now he's just going to go talk about his old... This is the same reason I stopped listening to Tony's podcast, because... They were having a fun show talking about shit, and then all of a sudden they want to go back and relive week by week of the Crockett era. Okay, I'm done. I'm washing my hands of it. So I probably won't listen to much more Arn. Uh, I'm sad that they took away Arn from me, but I'll be okay. We got Jeff Jarrett now on Tuesdays. Woo-hoo. Dark Side of the Ring made its triumphant return this week. One of the many great shows in the history of professional wrestling, documenting the history of professional wrestling. How great is it that we have two going on right now? We got the A&E Biography Series. Now we got Dark Side of the Ring back. And Dark Side of the Ring is back jam-packed this year, this season, whatever the fuck. 16, I think, 14 or 16 episodes this year. It's like a... Like a, an extended season three. There's a season three part one and a season three part two, I do believe. And this is a fantastic show. If you're not watching this show, if you haven't watched Dark Side of the Ring yet, you're sleeping on this one, what the fuck are you doing with your life, man? Are you sleeping on wiping your ass after you take a poo in the morning too? This season kicked off with Brian Pillman. Flying Brian Pillman or the Loose Cannon Brian Pillman, whatever you want to call it. And man, they just nailed it. Knocked it out of the goddamn park again. Dark Side of the Ring, these two guys, they're just two gentlemen that produced this show. They bust their ass by all accounts. They really work hard. They do just a great, great job with this whole thing. They're telling great stories. They're being honest. They're being fair. They're, they're finding a way to give you the dirt like we complained about with the Macho Man gimmick, but at the same time be able to do it in kind of a classy way or at least just a professional way, matter-of-factly, with no agenda. Brian Pillman was a hell of a story. This character, the Lu- Loose Cannon specifically, because you know, the Flying Brian run was a good run, and he was a talented guy, but he was just a guy on the roster, really, for the most part. Hollywood Blondes were cool, but they weren't around that long. I thought they were cool. I was always a Steve Austin fan, and and when him and Brian teamed up, I was a kid, I remember that, and I remember liking them I, as a heels. They were heels. I didn't dislike the heels. I liked the heels. They were cool heels. Cool heels. But the whole loose cannon thing, him showing up in ECW, getting ready to piss on the ring, uh, you know, fighting fans, trying to fight fans, whatever the fuck. The story that they told, I mean, this guy was ready to take on the wrestling world. He was possibly going to be Stone Cold before Stone Cold was Stone Cold. He was on that path as a guy with the edge and attitude and the rebellious spirit to usher in the Attitude Era by himself or right along with Steve. Their rise in WWF was kind of at the same time, which speaks a lot to the pairing of the Hollywood Blondes. But that car accident fucked him up, man. 
That shit ended his career and it ended it in his absolute prime. He would have made so many more millions. I mean, assuming that he still stayed alive and shit too. But a lot of the painkiller use and stuff was because of the legs. So, um, I don't know. I'm not an expert. Take it all with a grain of salt. Uh, exactly, you know, how that would have played out. But I saw nothing but big things in the future of Brian Pillman. And the whole contract thing, the whole way that he got out of it with WCW. Uh, I actually have a clip here that I do want to play. Uh, a little bit of a crossover here from the 83 Weeks podcast where Eric Bischoff was actually talking about Brian Pillman this week. And he was talking about that contract situation. Talking about where he kind of scoffs at, you know, not getting worked. Whereas, you know, in the dark side of the ring, people are outwardly laughing that, yeah, he worked Eric Bischoff. But did he, though? Listen to this clip. Let's talk about Pillman here. Did you think, as it explains in that episode that everyone will see this Thursday, that he was ever going to come back? The most honest answer I can give is I believed he would. Yeah. I wasn't sure that he would. I wasn't 100% confident that he would, but I believed that he, that he would. And here's the flip side. I also, you know, did the calculus in my own head that if he did, it would be great. But if he didn't, it wouldn't be the end of the world either. Right. So I was in a position where I had nothing to lose by creating the opportunity and hoping that it worked out the way we wanted it to, or I believed it would. But it wasn't like a big risky move. To, to be honest. And that's just being honest. And, and by no means am I disrespecting how important Brian Pillman was and the impact that he had on the industry. But we were in a position at that time where I would win either way. I don't think he did play Bischoff because Bischoff was willing to let him go because he couldn't afford him. So are you really playing Eric to get a release? If Eric really wanted him, would he be releasing him? I mean, this is two different opinions. There was that other old guy who was like Pillman's coach or some shit. He kind of seemed like a douchebag. He was all like, nah, you just fucking go in there and you work them both. But was he working Bischoff? Bischoff's like, hey, man, I'm not willing to pay you what you're asking. So if you can get it in WWE, go get it. And then when you want to come back, you'll be a bigger star and then I can pay you more money. Think about that. How is he getting worked there? If he's getting worked, talked out of his release, why would he Why would he tell him, I don't want to pay you what you're asking for. You can go sign somewhere else if you like. To me, that sounds a lot like, hey, see you later, buddy. And not a lot like, oh, I hope he comes back. <sighs> I mean, it could have been a master plan all from the beginning between the two. It could have been a work to fuck over Eric and make him think that he was going to come back so that he could leave. That could be the case, but he wasn't going to get paid what he wanted to get paid anyway. So he was probably going to leave anyway. So I don't get it. I don't get that whole part of it necessarily. I think it's just another one of those ways out there that people just want to try to find a way to bury Eric Bischoff because he was the boss and he lost the war. So he's easy to bury. And everybody has a reason to want to bury him. But I think it's all a bunch of hooey-fooey, in my opinion. But the rest of it, this dark side of the ring thing, 
they're really on to something. Obviously, they're on their third season for fuck's sake. But this is right up there with all of them. This is great quality. This is an in-depth, real, raw look at the man, his entire life, the ins and outs, his ex-wife and his current wife and his kids from three different baby mamas and the suicide and oh my god just what a fucking story got brian pillman jr on there with his mullet and all of its glory highly recommend going to check this out the first two hours two parts dropped this past week for brian pillman but you can catch new episodes every single thursday those are gonna be on vice got red ass jr again this week Something's crawled up JR's ass. I don't know if any of you guys have noticed it. I mean, it's fun when he's a little red-assed once in a while. But I feel like he's just a miserable fuck these days. Am I the only one? Check out this clip where he's bitching about how wrestling fans like to pick sides. You know, I like Team AEW. I like Team WWE. I like Team fucking Edward. And I like Team... Who's the other guy? You know, the glittery vampire fucks. This whole conversation got started when they were talking about the WCW back in the 90s trying to move into some of the arenas around the country and WWE shutting them down. And then the two of them arguing about it, beefing. Check out this clip. It does feel like it's a big fight about nothing. Yeah, big egos. That's what it was about. Big egos and those that didn't understand how a quote unquote wrestling war was going to transpire. I've always found it kind of humorous. It's a wrestling war. Shit. A war for what? What are we warring about? And, you know, it also causes people to pick sides. I've always thought that was one of the saddest developments in recent years in our business is that people have picked sides fans have, have been forced to take sides when our beloved business is more often maligned than not. And that, uh, you know, we need every break that we can, including all the fans to support all the companies. I always thought that was a piece of shit decision and positioning because it, it alienates fans. It's it, the fans got outsmarted. Why well, it's look, it's pro wrestling Conrad. Come on. How, how hard can it be if you're a pro wrestling fan? Are you really or not type thing? And I, I just felt really uncomfortable with that situation because it creates a scenario where it divides our own audience and we didn't have the audience. We, in the business in general, uh, didn't have the audience that let it be fragmented at, at our own volition. Just made no sense to me. It still doesn't. He's right about one thing. Us wrestling fans need to pull our heads out of our ass and quit trying to hope for companies to fail. You can have a favorite, but why does it have to be WWE's the shit, AEW's stupid, fuck AEW, Tony Khan's stupid. I want to see the whole thing fail and laugh in their face. (laughs) Why? Why do we have that opinion? Why does it matter to you? Why, why are you so set dead set on the failure of an entire wrestling company to see so many people out of work or forced 
to have to go back to work for fucking WWE and all that structure and shit. Why do you want wrestling to fail on either side? That's fucking stupid if you're a wrestling fan. Look, be grateful that wrestlers have other places they can go. Other places they can go and freshen up. Other places they can go and get a better contract. Other places they can go and work with other people and get better and come back and learn a new hold and come back. And fucking all of this shit. The, uh, I don't get it. You can have your favorites. You can say one sucks. But at the end of the day, you can't just sit and root for a company to fail. So JR is right about that. But JR needs to quit being such a crabby fuck. Because it's funny to a certain extent, and then it just gets to be uncomfortable. And then he just gets to be a crabby, miserable fuck, and nobody wants to listen to him. If you listen closely to something to wrestle podcast last week, when Bruce was actually back, Bruce was kind of fucking really going hard on JR. And it was hard to tell if he was being facetious or not, if he was just fucking joking around and just trying to be a fuck. But he, he outright said, fuck JR. So, making fun of his southern twang. Sassafras, you know? So, JR's just a crabby fuck. He bitches all the time. Half the time he's bitching on air. That's the last place you want to bitch. When you're fucking trying to be a crabby-ass old man in a cowboy hat. And you're on live fucking TV. Being paid. What, what do you? What's your job as a commentator? Is it to critique... The wrestlers in the ring? No. Your job as a commentator is to get the wrestlers in the ring over. See, the problem is, is that JR's got an ego. That's the problem. JR has a pinch of Jim Cornette in him. Not as much as Jim Cornette, but he's got that old, timey, this new shit's stupid and dumb and I don't understand it and fuck that shit. He's indignant. And he's up his own ass about his own opinions. And he's going to get himself over or, in his opinion, maybe just save face himself rather than get the product over. I'm not going to call this big flippy floppy tope sua flippity flopper because sassafras, right? Because it's going to ruin my credibility. You were hired to be a fucking commentator for this company. Get the goddamn talent over. Get them over. Get them over. That's your job. Your job is not to fucking save your own ego. Your job is not to keep your respect with Jim Cornette. Okay? Your job is to make your boss happy. Your job is to take these young stars out on TV fucking trying to bust their ass every week. Green as goose shit. Trying to make a name for themselves to the general public. Get them over. Use your credibility to put them over. If you don't like something they're doing, make a fucking note of it. Write it down. Because you're old and you're going to forget it. Go backstage after the fucking show or next week before the next show. Pull that person aside and be like, hey, as a veteran, I saw a few of these things during your match. Maybe a little less of this. Maybe a little more of that. Right? That's all there is to it. All you gotta fucking do. That guy can take it or leave it. They can say, yeah, fuck you, old man. I like my flippy dippy doopity dots. Or you could say, yeah, I get that. That makes sense. I'll keep that in mind. 
but you don't do it on air. JR has a big problem of doing that kind of shit. JR has a problem with his attitude. He's grumpy. He's crabby. He's miserable. He's unhappy. He's not impressed with anything. He's bored with the product at times. He doesn't understand the product, and that frustrates him. And in turn, that makes him crabby. And in turn, that makes him blame it on the product. I don't understand all this question mark next to trance name. Why we got a fucking quarrel? Okay, I don't get that one either. But you get what I'm saying. JR doesn't get it, so it's stupid and fuck it. Maybe you haven't picked up on all that yet. Maybe you don't listen enough to have really noticed all this yet. But Jim Ross is slowly turning into a curmudgeon I mean, he's always kind of been a dick, from what I've heard. Uh, kind of just a grump. Uh, short with people sometimes. You know, sarcastic, smart-ass answers. And, and then he does this thing on his podcast, too. And I'll just finish this, and then I'll get off of it. But uh, he does this other thing on his podcast, too, where he, he'll... Conrad will ask him something and he'll be like, he'll fucking invent something that the internet fans will say about it. Yo, the internet fans will probably probably go out there and do their little clickbaity-baity and say, whoa, old JR is just fucking whatever the fuck. So he picks fights with wrestling fans for things they haven't even said yet. Granted, he sees his own Twitter more than I do, so he probably does see a lot of that stupid shit, but still. He can't even finish his thought without redirecting himself to complain about what the internet fans have said about what he was just saying before he finishes saying it, before they even said it to him on the internet. You can check out Grilling JR each and every Thursday, hosted by your man Conrad Thompson. Mickey James was on the Oral Sessions podcast with Renee Paquette. Talking about, of course, the trash bag incident. What else would we be talking about? The trash bag and the release. That's all there is to talk about, right? Let's hear this clip. It's just one of those weird things. It's like, I guess we didn't really think. I was just kind of like, oh, yeah. What was the conversation you had afterwards? I'm, I'm sure TR must have reached out to you. And I, Hunter had tweeted about it and Steph had tweeted about it. Did you actually talk to them personally? Well, I talked to Vince personally. You know, that's I did. And I spoke to Johnny after and. I got messages and just texts with people, but I was just like, they, everyone was super apologetic and we got, you know, the flowers and it was, that was nice. And it was more, it was just nicer to have a conversation with Vince and for him, you know, he's like, I, this is not what I think of you. And I respect you as a talent. For me, that was like the conversation I guess I needed to have to say like, okay, that's cool. Like, it's cool. Like I'm not, it's not like I'm out here going like, Oh, F those guys or anything. Like, Cause it's just not who I am. I would just rather be like, Oh, okay. But it's nice to bring awareness to it. And it's just more nice to say, hey, we can't treat people like this. Like, you can't do that. That's bullshit. Like, just have a little respect in that sense. And I don't feel like it was an intentional disrespect, but it just more goes in line with how it goes sometimes. Always classy. Always a pro. Mickey James, to me, Mickey James is absolutely a legend in female wrestling. I hope she lands somewhere where I can watch her on a regular basis. I know that uh, her husband's in NWA uh, Impact Wrestling. She's been there before. Um, they're building traction. They're getting a lot of buzz. They have a very strong women's division. She's got friends that are there. This could be a great opportunity for her to go back and have one more last run 
put over a bunch of younger people, really get her fingerprints on the next generation of the business, and uh, have some great matches at the same time. Uh, again, don't really watch Impact, so I would rather her not go there, but I do think she will be in good hands if she does go there. That'll be a nice, safe, secure, fun, productive environment for her to work in. I want to see her on AEW. That's just me personally. I think that's where the business needs her the most. I think the WWE women's division is going down the fucking toilet. They're just getting worse and worse and worse. They fire a bunch of people. And then they fucking... uh, That one chick's getting pregnant. Whatever her name was, I forgot. You got fucking Eva Marie coming back. Eva Marie... Eva fucking Marie. You fire Mickey James. The Iconics, who aren't the greatest workers in the world, but are fantastic entertainment, right? You can teach in-ring talent. You can't teach charisma. You can't teach star power. Chelsea Green, talk about charisma. Another one, not the best in the ring. You could say she's a little green. <laughs> But she's a good fucking character. All of these people were let go. Let's bring Eva Marie back. And this is where the women's division is going to go. Continuing to go forward. Because look who's in charge of shit now. Johnny Ace again. Look at the women that Johnny Ace is responsible for in professional wrestling. The Bellas. Alicia Fox. Eva Marie. So if this is the direction that women's wrestling is going, they're getting less and less time in the ring again, fuck them. Their division sucks. Impact's probably got the best women's division in the business, but AEW is the only other one on is the only other one on national TV with the huge roster that it does. And what they really need in that roster is a fucking women's division. They that women's division that they have They got Britt Baker. She's a goddamn star. They had an opportunity with Nyla Rose. I think they've botched it, and she's pretty well fell flat at this point. Should have kept her a monster. AEW needs somebody like Mickie James. I hope she lands on her feet. I'm sure she will because she's a fucking legend. I hope it's on my TV. That's just me. But wherever she is, I'm sure she'll be happy, and I'm sure she'll fucking rock it. Go check out Mickey James's interview on Oral Sessions with Renee Paquette and cherish it like your child. Sammy Guevara was on Inside the Ropes this week doing the uh, whole press tour for Blood and Guts still. And uh, what a Blood and Guts, by the way, hey? Um, bloody as fuck. Brutal fight. Brutal match. Uh ending you know you know but we're not here to talk about the in-ring stuff so let's talk about sammy in this clip here from inside the ropes talking about the whole sasha banks incident check this out just just sticking on controversy very quickly you obviously had the whole and i don't want to get into it but i want to talk about how you got out of it right the, the sasha banks stuff you've had a growing time right like what would you say that you've learned a lot and having someone like jericho in in particular, maybe in your corner, like, is it, I mean, it might not be him. There might be other guys, but would you say that you've learned a lot and you've grown a lot over this past time since you've been with oh, AW? 100%, man. I mean, the Sasha stuff, those were just, you know, bad comments on my end from years ago, just immaturity. 
Um, and I've grown since then. And, uh, that was my whole thing too. Last year when, uh, I did the, the sensitivity training, it's like, you know, I don't know everything and I'm not going to pretend like I do. So when they said to do this training, I was like, you know what, let me look at it from like, uh, uh, the silver lining stuff It's like, you know what, I can actually learn some stuff probably from this. And I did learn some stuff, man. Um, you know, that's what life's about. You know, nobody's perfect. We're human and human may, means we make mistakes. And so uh, I feel like when you make mistakes, it's just important to try to learn, grow and uh, and go on, you know, because life's just going to keep going. And so uh, Jericho is the man. Uh, he, he helped me a bunch uh, during that whole time and uh, all the controversies that are happening throughout my time. And I'm, And that's the thing. All these wrestling sites, all these dirt sheets, they're going to have fun with me over the years, man, because I'm going to be here for a long time. <laughs> and uh, I, I intend to make a lot more news, good, bad, whatever. You know, I just know I'm going to be in the news regardless. And uh, they say no, no, no press is bad press. So <laughs> I did think, though, out of that, you know, like Sasha reaching out to you and you two kind of having that um, statement almost on the day. I thought that was cool, though, that you could have a, an honest conversation. You know I mean? It didn't get too muddy. Like you just said about the other stuff. Yeah. And like, that's the thing, like, uh, such respect to her, you know? Um, cause I never even talked to her before. And that's like the first time, unfortunate circumstances. And, uh, she could have, you know, buried me or whatever. And like, she, you know, she was hearing me out and, uh, came to like you know we had a civil discussion and so i have nothing but respect to her she's killing it right now had a great match at mania um nothing but the best for her you know i said it here last week sammy Guevara's a kid he's a punk ass kid i think us on the internet have a tendency to judge everything from you know the the where the monday morning quarterbacks what are the fucking, you know, any cliche you want to throw at it. But we're we're looking at it. We're, we're sitting on our high horse. We're judging it from a position of hindsight. And, you know, a lot of us don't really take the time to think, like, Sammy Guevara's a fucking young-ass kid now. And this was four or five years ago that he said that comment. He got so much hate for it, and rightfully so, because it was an ignorant, stupid fucking thing to say. But at the end of the day... When you're fucking fresh out, he's barely out of high school at that time. He's a college-age kid. A college-age, punk-ass, high-strung, hyper-ass, fucking good-looking, athletic, jocular. Like, this is a kid who is used to just kind of just saying shit with his buddies. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are the kind of things that people say off the cuff, off the record, without thinking, without meaning it. And, and I'm not justifying it, but I am saying that I think Sammy Guevara is a really decent person. Uh, one of my favorites of in the current product right now. He's He's got a huge, huge bright future ahead of him. And, you know, he learned a lot from this incident. He learned. He went and he took the sensitivity classes and he admits he learned something from those. So, hey, man. Everything in life's a learning lesson. Everything in life is not going to go your way. Everything in life is not going to be perfect. Every time you open your mouth, it's not going to always be the greatest thing in the world. Sometimes you'll say shit that you wish you could take back. So I think people need to kind of give Sammy a break if you're still holding that against them and just 
You know, watch the man going forward. See how he carries himself. See what other kind of shit he gets into. Or see if he learned from that situation and became a better person, which I think he has. Other than giving up like a bitch to the fucking pineapple. But regardless, moving on. Holy fucking shit, Walter. Walter made a rare ass appearance on the podcast scene. On the After the Bell podcast with Corey Graves and Vic Joseph. And Corey and Vic sat and talked with Walter about his WWE career and his career before WWE. But in this clip right here, he talks about how he approaches his style in the ring. Check this out. Obviously, a lot of the stuff I do, I picked up from wrestlers that were in their high time, like generations before, like before now. Um, but wrestling at the end of the day, if you look at how wrestling developed, some of the things never change. And I, I, I was aware I'm not, I'm not, no, I'm never going to be somebody who's going to be overly spectacular with athletic stuff and stuff like that. So I always focused about, I think wrestling for me, wrestling has to look like competition, but has like dramatic competition. There has to be drama and chaos about that a little bit too. And that's what I always tried to. Yeah, I always try to get that to the people. I was never, when, since I'm around, I'm one of the biggest guys, like physically. Right. I'm tall, so I cannot compete with everyone, with everybody else doing exciting, exciting moves or jumping off the top rope or being crazy athletic. So I just thought I need to, I need to get, I need to connect with the people differently. I want to, I want to get them on their sub- subconscious reactions, like people have naturally in them. So when I do something, I never go for it to be exciting, but I always go for people to react like, like, oh, you know what I mean? Like an automatic reaction that we all have in, in us. And that's what I always aim for. Volter's legitimately one of the scariest guys in wrestling. Him, Miro, and Brock when he's actually around. Bobby Lashley could be scary, but he just seems so damn nice. But Miro, when he does his intense, I'm going to kill you shit, I'm hiding under the couch. I don't give a fuck. Like, even on the TV, I got a blanket over my head. I'm peeking through my hands. I'm scared of the man to get hurt physically. Brock Lesnar, that guy will pick you up and fucking just break you in half. Like Bane, just done. Just just no chance. You don't even, and he could move from one half of your house to the other with one fucking leap, and you're screwed. He's like a cat. You're just fucked. And Walter, just a big sack of meat, right? Just fucking, just the chops from hell and the foot, just brutality. Just physical, just ow just him looking at you hurts you know what i mean you can just tell every little thing that he would ever do to you would just hurt 10 times as much as any normal man and that's what he brings to the table but he did also say he was very clear that you know he wasn't really going to wwe wasn't really a goal of his coming up partly because he just likes to live in the moment and focus on what he's doing and not really look to the future all that much or worry about it uh, but he also said that he really had no interest of ever moving over to uh, the United States. And he has yet to do that. Even after signing with WWE, he's just heading up the WWE UK. 
Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they throw enough money at him to get him to move to the United States because Walter's fucking money, man. He's a monster. I don't know, you know, Vince would have to use him the right way because there's two ways you can use Walter. You can use Walter like Brock Lesnar or you can use Walter like Vladimir Kozlov after his tough guy run when he was a fucking goof. And I can see Vince doing that. He'd bring Walter in. Smash a few people, squash a few people, run through a few people as the tough guy. And then Vince will wake up one day and go, eh, that guy's boring. And just want to give him a comedy gimmick of some kind or pair him up with some fucking dweeb or something. So, you know, we could see Walter and, and Otis tag teaming together, you know, under Vince's creative. Don't say that that couldn't happen. So... Who knows, but Walter's money, Walter belongs on national TV on a regular basis, and I hope he does end up in on main roster WWE. I think he can weed through. He's talented enough. He's not a Vladimir Kozlov, so he's talented enough to make it through on a physical level, to have amazing matches, to get a good following from the fan base and, and and keep their attention while they're watching but i can also see vince just thinking is boring as fuck and 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 wanting to do something stupid with him so we shall see motherfucker check out after the bell every single thursday wherever your thursdays are found On the Kurt Angle Show, Kurt was talking about what he thought about The Rock coming back to WWF after his big movie career took off. Check this out. But this is also a weird subculture, if you will, where when a guy moves on, fans will chant things like you sold out. And some of the guys in the back who are maybe frustrated with their spot would say, oh, we bust our ass all year. And then this guy comes in and takes our WrestleMania spot. So there is sort of a, a catch 22 to making a move like this. Did you hear any sort of pushback or was everybody like, man, I hope we can do that. I think everybody was more like, I want to do that too. Right. You know, Dwayne would come back and wrestle at WrestleManias, and he deserves that. The, 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 the career he had was, you know, unmatched. He was a very entertaining sports entertainer. And, uh, you know, we, some wrestlers did get upset when he would come back because he would ma- mainly take the main event at WrestleMania. So, you know, the, the payoff for Dwayne at WrestleMania was really good. And uh, some of the other wrestlers thought they might have missed out on a main event uh, championship payoff. So I understand why they would be upset, but Dwayne earned it. And uh, if he ever wants to come back, uh, if I was running WWE, I'd want him to come back every year. So he's a huge, he's a huge star. He's a, he's an A-list actor in Hollywood. One of the biggest stars there and he still can go. So why not bring rock in? Rock took a lot of heat, maybe not so much in Kurt's era, but in the John Cena era, when he came back for that run, he got hated on by a lot of WWE fans because he was coming back to take a fucking spot two years in a row, especially beating Punk for the title because Punk had such a rabid following. But maybe some of the newer fans don't quite realize this, but um, The Rock's not a Hollywood guy just coming to play fucking wrestler, okay? He's not Bad Bunny 
or Stephen Amell or Shaq. He's the motherfucking rock. This man earned three WrestleMania main events before he ever even left the WWE. This man was a fucking multi-time WWF champion, intercontinental champion, tag team champion, all of it. Before he ever even left WWE, he came in, he rose to the top, he stayed at the top, he dominated the top, then he left. He bled all over that ring, he took chair shots all over that ring. This man earned his spot for life. You can never get mad at him for coming back now that he's a big Hollywood star and main eventing another WrestleMania. The fuck is wrong with you? He's not taking people's spots. He's putting eyeballs on the product. And again, he's not Bad Bunny. He's not just some guy coming in to take a spot. He's The Rock. Okay? He's a fucking bona fide Hall of Fame legend in professional wrestling. His career is unparalleled by just about anybody. He's one of the biggest stars of all time, Mount Rushmore quality. Okay? So, of course, he deserves his spot when he comes back. And fuck you for hating on him for it, if you're one of those people. You can check out the Kurt Angle Show every single Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. Just like this podcast right here, motherfucker. Thank you guys so much for checking out the show. Thank you for sticking around all the way to the end if you're listening. Yes, you. Thank you, sir. Probably no ma'ams. I don't think there's any ma'ams listening to the show. Certainly not to the end. They didn't make it this far. There's no chicks here. Follow me, if you will, on social media, at Seth Grimes Media. That's Twitter. That's Facebook. Uh, You can also find this show on YouTube. You just search Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast or Seth Grimes. There we post the full podcast as well as just clips and highlights from the podcast. So if you just kind of want to browse and pick and choose what you want to listen to, Got the highlights right there for you. Until next week, as always, I'm your humble host, Seth Grimes. And this has been the Pro Wrestling Podcast Podcast. Tried Lemon Drop Bang this week. The Lemon Bang. It's not that great. I love Bang. I'm a huge Bang fan, but the Lemon one's kind of rough. It's like a tastes like a lemon drop. It's called lemon drop. It tastes like a lemon drop, but I don't know that a whole sixteen ounce can of lemon lemony lemon drop is really all that delectable at the end of the day, but still love bang though. <laughs>